Hello there. ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? Hello there. Hello there. We're here. We made it. We did, and it's launch weekend. Super exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, the game is fully out now. We are on the other side of launch weekend. We've got some thoughts. That's what today's episode is about, and it's really cool because... We've been planning for this day a long time on the podcast, and we know you've been listening, building up to this day yourself, and we're hopefully going to give you some sort of insight. If anything, I'm on just fun that we learned from the weekend that we had, and keep the excitement up for you, because I know we certainly have a lot of excitement right now. No, you're absolutely correct. This weekend was a ton of fun. I had a great time, not only building Shatterpoint things. That's right playing Shatterpoint things and talking about Shatterpoint things, which was exciting. And there were a ton of demos over the weekend. The amount of interest was palpable. And we even had someone walk into the store and say, hey, I've never played any miniatures games before. I've never played any card games before. I've occasionally played board games, but I've just been so hyped by Star Wars Shatterpoint. I saw it at Star Wars Celebration. And or I heard about it at Star Wars Celebration, and I want to try it. And we were all like, "Come in!" <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> one of us, one of us. That's right. Yeah, hopefully they are now engaged in that. And man, that's insane! Just like the you hearing the the words you're saying that they heard about it from Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, it was wild, and they bought a core box. Wonderful, perfect, absolutely. So yeah, that's where we're at on this other side of this. Shatterpoint weekend. So we're going to talk about today what our experiences were, like getting our core sets and then playing. And then, of course, some things we learned from the weekend, some things we're going to be doing in the future to help improve our games at Shatterpoint, but also kind of like, in my mind, I'm on frame the games that we're trying to do, forward thinking, what we're looking to get out of the game. And on top of that, too, you got stuff like hobbying and terrain on top of that as well. There's a lot of forward thinking goals right now. There's a lot of balls in the air. I'm really excited about it, but it is a little bit overwhelming too. So we're trying to encapsulate all that for you guys on today's episode. But before we do all that, we do have some wonderful people to thank. Indeed. Hello There is supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, your resource for everything Shatterpoint. Absolutely. And shout out to Mr. Laser. I did get my stuff by release day which was saying something for a retailer online that has to ship to you. Mr. Laser had planned out the shipping time and all that, and it just shows the experiences I've had with Mr. Laser on MCP, where it's like, I get my stuff by release day. If I pre-order it, I get it by release day or that weekend. So it's just, it's a wonderful thing. So we highly recommend it. But of course, we cannot do the show without our patrons, Amon, and our patron Discord community has been growing. Our patrons support us at patreon.com slash cast. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us and getting access to our Discord community through the Patreon. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. And of course, also with the Patreon at the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier and up, 
you get an additional bonus podcast episodes of this very show. That's right. And we did drop our second ever Candid Cantina. That's right. Last week. And I think we're going to do two a month, which is pretty solid. Absolutely. So we're going to start with our Patreon tiers. We'll start with our Padawan Acolyte level. Thank you to Josh. Moving up to the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior level, we have Ryan, CJ, Philip, Scott, Ryan W., Chris with a K, Tom, and someone who goes by the name No One. No One. No One indeed. Ray No One. I can see their email, but I guess they choose to be anonymous here. Awesome. That's a huge day because we got a new producer of the show, a new person to thank that has achieved the rank of master. That's right. Depending on your flavor, you are either a Jedi master or a Sith Lord. We currently had balance in the force at this tier, but now we are in disharmony. But for better or for worse, we'd like to thank Mr. Rich for joining our show at the producer level. We are super excited, very grateful. And I'm looking forward to personally seeing if you go light side or dark side. You never know. Rich could be a Revan, right? And a little bit of both. So maybe the force is still balanced. But of course, we could not do the show without our other producers that you want to hear your name every episode. These producers get to hear the name every episode because they helped this show happen. Thank you to Kevin and Rusty. So now there were three. I'm on. And then there were three. I'm really hoping Rich throws us a curveball and is like, I don't believe in force powers. I'm going scum and villainy. Love it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rich. And thank you all patrons currently supporting us and anyone considering supporting us in the future. It's definitely a way to keep us inspired and putting the show out the quality we want to and improve the quality in the future that we want to get to that Amon and I are working towards. And you guys are helping us do that. But Amon, we got to get into today's topic, which is Shatterpoint launch weekend, how it went and all of our first impressions. My immediate first impression was the high ground box is sick. Tell me about that because I actually haven't picked it up yet. Dude, it was actually incredible. I put some pictures in our Discord, but I played a game with Greg Webster, who used to run Recalibration Matrix for MCP. Love Greg. Yeah, I love Greg. I got to spend a lot of quality time with him at Lone Star Open, where I met you, Amon, last year. Yeah. Yeah, he's my local. He was in my car a lot because we were... Several cars were commuting certain places and stuff, especially those first couple nights before the con started. Greg was with me a couple times. Yeah, Greg's my boy. And he was a demoer at Adepticon, so AMG sent him a care package. Okay. And he got the core box, Dooku, Obi-Wan box, and both terrain boxes. Pretty crazy. Yeah, so I got the ground cover scatter terrain box. Because I cannot live without that swoop bike in my life. But I did not get the high ground pack yet, just because financially I didn't get it yet. But I'm intending to, but tell me all about it. I played with it, and it opens up a third level. There we go. Yeah, you and I were talking about the third level. We did, and I played with it, and I immediately walked downstairs, grabbed one off the shelf, told them before I leave today, I'm walking away with this. And it's so worth it. I haven't put it together yet. It's actually still in the saran wrap, but I'm very excited to spend this week putting time into it, building it, priming it, and then painting all of the terrain together. So that was the probably the first thing 
I learned over the weekend is get that box. Yeah. And that also pushes me more in the direction I've already been going for some time on, as you know, is like reaching out to a lot of these online vendors because you and I talked about the Imperial Terrain, Kashyyyk, Ewok inspired set, which does have a third level, the tops of those trees. And one of the main reasons I was eyeing it so much, rather than it being so beautiful and different, is the idea of the third level with like rings, like not boxes or not like a side gantry, but like a full on ring around a tree, right? And what that can mean for the game, how it's different. Yeah, it's pushing me one step closer to that, one step closer to the edge of going full Kashyyyk. Yeah, Kashyyyk is something I certainly want to do, but I think after purchasing the high ground box, I'm going to try to make something work in this urban-ish environment. Nice. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm probably going to go with Zepho, like from Jedi Fallen Order. Love it. Yeah, change it up. And uh, we're going to talk about some of my more terrain coming up on this episode because, yeah, I've got a lot of plans too and projects that are already done that now need to have additions added to them for Shatterpoint. And I feel like the world is your oyster where it's like the verticality adds so much to the game creatively for the gameplay and the terrain creators out there, people that want to host events and make fun stuff for their players to play on. And I'm very intrigued and challenged by it in a good way, like the verticality. Yes, I'm very excited. Jesse, what was one thing that you learned over the weekend? Some of these ideas I'm going to try to hold back until our battle report section of this episode where we talk about some of our games. But I will say, a little hint of that section, I fell in love with Padawan Ahsoka. Snips all day, but we'll talk about that later. But I think I learned actually getting the aim to the physical table, which is different from theory crafting, different from this theater of the mind, different from TTS, all things I've done. The impact of the game design on movement and shoves and pins and stuff, and Amana, I've been talking about so much in these episodes, is felt on a whole new level. And what I mean by that is the design of this game being you can only do one action once. It sounds so simple. It sounds so, okay, I understand that. And I understand how it's different, right? Especially the one move, right, in particular. One attack, a lot of games have one attack, or one special action, a lot of games have that. But the one move combined with the elements, like characters that have abilities that give them a shove, or enemies that shove you multiple times, or things like that, right, really opens up the game in a crazy way when you actually put it on the table. And you see the matrix of how intense this game is in the sense of how well it's designed, but also how much movement and objectives matter in a different way than any other skirmish game I've played before. And I don't know if you got that vibe as well, Amon. I know you've been playing a lot of demo games before Shatterpoint Weekend, but I think also getting everything in our hands on the weekend and it being your own stuff adds another element as well. And you're moving them with purpose more, but it's, dude, the movement in this game is insane. And that's also tying into my love of snips, which I'm going to cover later. But Padawan Ahsoka is all part of that equation I'm bringing up right now to the how paramount movement is. Movement is huge. Completely agree with you. It's very noticeable, but it actually ties into one of the things I learned today as well over the weekend, which is the different types of movement and how important having access to certain movement is versus not having access to it. So another lesson I learned over the weekend is the fact that you can actually block characters from moving up ingress points if you position your characters correctly. That's right. Yeah. 
So what I did is I moved Ahsoka up to a point where I was playing against the Obi-Wan Anakin clones list and they couldn't get anybody up the ingress point because they have to end within one and there was no way that they could do it without overlapping either Ahsoka's base or overhanging so they can't place. And then eventually like Obi-Wan and Anakin both jumped up there. They're like, we're done with this. That's right. But I forced him to have to do that, right? Because the clones are basically like, the only option they have at that point is climbing. Correct. But it's limiting the movement immensely. Yeah. But like Anakin walked up there. He tried to move the ingress point. Didn't work. And so I was like, guess you have to spend a force to jump. And so he did. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You can really bog up some areas. And I actually got some in-person table experience against the things like the Magnus, right? And the Super Mandos this weekend too. And that adds a whole other element of the engagement and the quasi-taunt we've talked about with those characters and stuff, especially the Magnus, right? Where there's, they just cause a lot of issues with that stuff. But I think some other things that I learned were things we've been touting on this podcast since day one, but it's like really experiencing them in full time. The power of conditions. And when I mean the power of conditions, I mean truly just conditioning a primary out to kingdom come, just like loading them up. They're out of the game for a while. And I'm not even talking necessarily, they're like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of recovery actions to get back in. Not even that necessarily, just like losing your expertise is insane. Pinned is insane. We know how good pinned is. Pinned is just abysmal, right? And then you start stacking things on top of that, where it's like some of these Jedi, you expose them and they are a different model when they're exposed and not in a good way. And this coming from my experience, because I did play only light side all weekend. I will mention that while we're here. I play, only played light side all weekend. So all my takes are from the pure light side standpoint, but I also experienced that as a light side player. You keep exposing all my Jedi, like that hurts. No defensive expertise. Especially because their first defensive expertise is turning like a crit into either a fail or a regular hit. So the fact that you can't turn that off means immediately you're taking a ton more damage. Yeah, it's such an interesting and compelling way that AMG did this game's version of Incinerate from MCP. It just feels so much better, though. Like, in the sense of it's very powerful. It's just as powerful as Incinerate. But I'm still rolling the same amount of dice, which feels good. I also like that, too. So it's, yeah, I'm debilitated. I'm not doing that cool thing where I turn a crit to a hit or I'm not getting a bunch of blocks from a Jedi. But I know no matter what, when I play a certain character, I'm rolling the same amount of set dice and I really do that part too. I completely agree. And I also experienced one of my primaries. I believe it was Ahsoka. Okay. Had all four conditions on her. Yeah. Insanity, right? What can you do at that point? You can't do anything. <laughs> That's kind of what you're asking yourself. You're like, you're not only put in a spot where you physically can't do stuff with your character, but you're also put in a very tough mental chess spot where you're like, okay, what am I going to do with Soka next? Because I actually don't know what I can do with her and what I should remove or not remove. Or like you're really put at a crossroads. 100%. And in that activation, what I did is I cleared the strain first. Because I do believe strain is the worst condition you can get. Just the auto damage. Yeah, it's incredible. And then from there, I was just like, whatever, I'll just force speed, burn the pen, and then I'll just YOLO and see what happens. Which was fun. What I forgot, actually, but it came up so much, is when you have two supporting units, characters, excuse me, in the same unit, shooting at the same target, and they both have the same type of conditions they can place. 
once one places the condition, when the next one attempts to place the condition, you just take an auto damage. So That's right. That's right. That happened a lot where I was like auto damage. That's a weird rule that I think gets easily forgotten. It got forgotten in our games a lot where it's like, oh, I've attacked with the clones two times in a row. I give you a pin. Oh, I'm just saying I can't give you a pin because I already gave you one. Yeah, that's what you normally think you should do. But an auto damage on top of them still keeping the pin, right? From the first clone, they gave him pins. Very strong. Yeah, it's different to MCP, which is probably our biggest point of reference. Because you're like, oh, you're already incinerated. Doesn't matter. That's cool. The auto damages on the expertise tree in particular are very sneaky and very scary. People like Dooku have them everywhere. Like they're just giving you all sorts of damage. And that element of the game also, Amon, is another little mini game where it's like all the auto damages without even going through the tree and stuff is a whole nother element, right? Like floating out in the abyss on top of what are they going to do to me on top of the tree? So it's interesting. I will also say this weekend, and I think this is coming from my game discussion here shortly, but deflected work for me this weekend as a Jedi player. And I think I mentioned how impactful I thought deflect would be on our episodes, but I'm standing by what I said. And if not leaning more into it, though, I still lean into what you said completely about that as well. You're never going to just look for it. You're never going to bank on it, but you're always going to watch your opponent's dice intensely for the fail because it's free. And it is that damage. I don't know. This weekend in particular, multiple times B1s attacked my Jedi, right? And they were failing a lot. And it's just that two damage, two damage, two damage, two damage. It's just building up. And on a model like a B1, it's actually more impactful because they do have that massive health pool, right? And so now I feel more confident, like I'm going to jump in to engage with them and try to chop down the last six stamina on them, right? To injure them. But without those deflects, I wouldn't be at that point where I feel like I'm gambling less, right? Yeah, I think that's totally fair, and I was definitely on the receiving end of a bunch of random ping damage, but it did cost my opponent a lot of force, because unlike MCP, when a character is wounded, they can still interact on the board, so the covering fire that the clones can provide, what my opponent was doing is, they're wounded, but I'll still pay the force, and now your character is strained. Yeah, and it's cool that the different clone squads which we'll get into in our battle report episodes but it's like the 212th and the 501st give different conditions right so then you can really start stacking on your opponent like all sorts of conditions but also these pings as amon's talking about and uh, it feels oppressive from range it really does and it works quite well but yeah i there's so many things we learned i think a lot of them are going to come up organically through this episode but i think a question up front amon is can you give me a quick timeline of what your weekend looked like put uh, put us in the headspace of what it looked like on your end because full transparency listener Amon and i intentionally did not talk about this weekend at all so we could get this all out on the podcast so this is all our first like thoughts and takes with each other we have no idea what our weekends looked like just that we got a good amount of games in yeah that's right it's actually in the pre-show when we were planning jesse starts talking about well over the weekend and i was like nope yeah and we're not just doing save that. it yeah. So my weekend, when I got off work, I went straight to the local game store because I had told the fiance in advance. I said, hey, look, this is going to be like my weekend. So went there, just honestly really enjoyed the hype. I ran a demo game because ultimately I knew I would have to go out with some friends. So we did that Friday night. And then Saturday, strangely enough, there was an MCP tournament. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, and it's because it's the same weekend of every month, the first weekend. An unfortunate timing thing, but yeah, it is. What yeah, it is. but you know, at the end of the day, I, I had to get some my MCP in as well. I had to represent. What'd you play? What what team did you play? I was playing Thanos Guardians. Oh, you're playing that still. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but I changed the list up a little bit because, as I've mentioned to you privately, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I have a trouble. I have a hard time playing into one of my locals who is the number one ranked criminal syndicate player on Longshanks. So shout out to him. But I had a plan. To be succinct, I met Richard in the second round because we both won game one. And I had been on the store's case to get some chess clocks because I was like, hey, if we're going to play competitive high-level MCP, we need chess clocks. And so unfortunately, we ran out of time. But I'm telling you guys. My goodness. If we had gone the next round, I would have won. Especially because in that matchup, you are the attrition player. And more rounds benefit you, honestly. Okay. So you played a three-round tournament. Yeah, yeah. So despite the fact I went two and one, I got third because of SOS. MOV stuff, yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Our monthly comes up every so often, too. I play in that, too. And, of course, we have bi-weekly tournaments we play in so and i had an mcp one not terribly long ago got my hellfire badge sent it to amon immediately very happy about that yeah congrats again but top hellfire player in the world for probably five seconds and i will start training for lso soon hopefully but shatterpoint makes that difficult shatterpoint makes that super difficult <laughs> though because we're talking about mcp one thing i did experience again over the weekend was in MCP, we have this thing where we talk about characters always left on one. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to leave Obi-Wan on one, and then he just heals up during his activation. Perfect, perfect. All right. I do want to hear about that. Okay, so you played MCP. What happened after that? Did you play some Shatterpoint at the store? I did. So I should have mentioned that I ended my meetings early on Friday, and I was at the store at 12. So I did get oh, wow. a total of four games in over the course of the weekend. Two on Friday and then two on Sunday. Okay. So four total full games for the weekend. Yeah. Four games that were not demo games. Okay. Very good. How many games did you play? So my weekend was a little bit tighter. I had the same conversation you had, Amon, with your significant other. My wife's known this coming for some time. She knows that hello there is very important to me and that you and I had a lot of intentions to get as many games as possible to have this very episode and future episodes. And we had planned around this for the weekend. So Friday I worked all day. And then of course we took my kid to grandparents' house late at night, Friday setting up for the Saturday. So we had this full babysitter situation set up and we even took it one step further when we got back in town. Cause my in-laws live out of town. Me and my wife were like, you know what? We never have any time to do anything. Perfect time to go see into the spider verse too. Did that, pulled a late night Friday, despite knowing that I was going to have a full day of Shatterpoint Saturday, but did it. Had an amazing time. Incredible movie. I'm a huge fan of the originals. One of the best superhero movies ever made. And we got to have a, like a mini date night, right? So that was fun. And then Saturday, I do know that my kids taking care of for most of the day. So I had set up a full-on play day with one of my close friends. His name is Kyle, but his name on our patron Discord is Mara Jade is a babe. I've tied the names together now. I know that's his Patreon name, which is excellent. 
And Kyle's one of my main MCP play partners. And unfortunately, my co-host Chris of Fury's Finest had to work all day because he does work on weekends. So Chris was kind enough to let us borrow some of his corset stuff. Between all of our corsets and stuff, we had plenty to play with. But yeah, case in point, I played all day Saturday. Like we got right to brass tacks, right in. Ended up playing five games Saturday. And that was my entire weekend because Saturday night, my kid was back on the dad duty and Sunday was an all family day, right? Five solid games. It was, it was a marathon, learned a lot, had a lot of fun, played on a fully painted board. I played on a board that I posted in the hello there patron discord. That was, and also the furious finest discord, which was Korriban Sith temple stuff, which is cool because we actually had more elevation than even that you can tell from the pictures. And we had this like big Sith temple off to one side that you would fight on. But then we had some platforms too, because we had all the corset models assembled, but not the terrain yet. But I was like, yeah, like a gantry here too. would probably add one more thing to this core band board and it'd be done. But so five games as a lot. I ended up playing the corset as is for a couple and then going full Republic after that, which we'll get into here shortly. Aman, you mentioned on Friday, you played couple games. What did those games look like and what list did you run? Yeah, for sure. So Greg is convinced that the Obi-Wan Anakin clone list is the best list. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's up there for sure. It is up there. And I don't know if he's wrong, but I'm not saying he's right either. I played that very list this weekend with Padawan Ahsoka in it. And we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, I'm a fan of Padawan Ahsoka too, but didn't play her either over the weekend because Greg didn't get one. Didn't want to make him feel too bad. Yep. But I played in our first game, Twice the Pride and Hello There. Just those boxes. So like a version of the list that you mentioned in our last episode. Yeah, really. I just didn't care for synergy. I just wanted to have fun. Yeah. Play with the cool new shinies. Because I'd already slammed a bunch of games before when the store got the demo box. Of course, yeah. It was actually a very one-sided game, and I just got diced off the board. From range? It was nuts. Like, I would throw eight dice with Dooku, deal, like, one damage through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two clone, 212 clone troopers would take two different shots at two different primaries and then wound them both. Those guys slap. They're good. Granted, I had taken three to four damage on each primary, but you're not expecting them to just do the remainder, right? Like Obi-Wan and Dooku both got just taken out. And I was just so shocked. And Django wasn't really doing anything. And it just became one of those games where your opponent's like, I'm sorry. Yep. So it was one of those. And then Greg goes, I told you, man. This team is too good. And I was like, all right, hold on here. I want to bring out the big guns. He was like, okay, yeah, sure. So then I played exactly the list that I talked about that I thought was pretty good. Ahsoka, Bo-Katan. But I went with the Super Commandos instead of Clan Kreese. Right. Because I just love their damage output. And then I took Dooku, Django, and the Magna Guards. That was a lot more fun. Dice were even this game. We did go to a struggle three. And so what I found was Super Commandos slap. They'll take out any clone combat like one for one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they did that. Obi-Wan jumped in. 
And then Bo-Katan just honestly kept toe-to-toe with Obi-Wan, which was tight. Enjoyed that. Django was a monster. So jetpack all the way to the third floor. That's where the point is. And we did a lot of knocking off gantries, right? So that was fun. What I was able to do with Django is I had this cool moment where like, I yanked Obi-Wan towards him off a point. And then with my active ability, the live wire, I spent the force. And then I just rolled fairly decently, shoved him. So now he's like on the ground floor and then jetpacked over to the other side of the other objective. And so I had got two, which was cool. So I won struggle one fairly handedly. Yep. Struggle two is when it was a really interesting board setup. He got both his left and right back points and then the middle point. So it was like a triangle facing me. And I was like, I'm not going to win this struggle. I'm not going to overextend myself and let Anakin, Obi-Wan, Rex, etc. just merc mm. me. So I was, I just let him win struggle too. So you used it as a way to set up and deal damage? Exactly. That's all I did is okay. I tried to deal as much damage, put as many conditions on all his fighters as I could nice. while he slowly struggled or won the struggle. And then when struggle three started, I was in the superior advantage. And I keep in mind, like, when struggle three happens, because I lost struggle two, I get to pick struggle three, right? So not only was I in a superior board state, but then the board choice helped me out as well. Very cool. Yeah, that's a really cool strategy. And I think that naturally leads into a question I have here, Amon, which is something that you and I have come up on this show, but also off mic a lot. You've said that you don't think struggle three is that common. So I think this brings up just the question right now of struggle three What's it like? Is it really that common? We're going to see more of it over time, you think? Because in my experience this weekend, it lined up exactly with what you were saying. Hardly had any struggle threes this weekend. That was the only game I played that went to struggle three. And I do believe I would have one struggle two if it wasn't such an unfavorable board setup for me. That is part of it too. I just, I think this discussion and concept of struggle three is very interesting because I think as the game changes and different models come out, and obviously the player base gets more skilled, I think the concept and execution and appearance of Struggle 3 will change. I'm not really sure how it's going to change, but I think it will change. And I think your example you just gave us, listening to you talk about giving him Struggle 2, I think that's part of what might change. And also some future models that might benefit from that play style some things that might ramp as opposed to things that win early and we've talked about on this very show i'm just trying to frame myself the listener and just our discussion around the concept of understanding these struggles and and understanding we're probably going to see three less but also maybe as the game goes on three will ebb and flow and maybe just be up or down depending on what the meta is at maybe yeah it's interesting because i think as players get better at the game spend more time understanding the nuances and really mastering characters. I do think Struggle 3 will pop up a little bit more in popularity, but I still think it will not be as ubiquitous as just someone just 2 owing. Yeah. And it's less so much about what I experienced this weekend. It's less so much about somebody just like hard 2 owing and just more like they hard win Struggle 1 and they kind of focus and lock in and just close it out with Struggle 2. It's not so much... I don't know. And a lot of my games, it was like I won struggle one dominantly. I had a lot of momentum and a lot of models further up the board in general, in theory, because I, I won struggle one and I was just doing that. And then I just like hard pushed on struggle two. That will work, especially with dice on your side. 
Yeah, especially with models like Anakin and Maul in the game where it's, oh, I won Struggle 1. I have Anakin and or Maul on my list. I'm just going to hard push into this aggro playstyle you and I talked about multiple times on the show now. Completely agree. Okay, so that was your two games on Friday. So I guess that would lead to my Saturday morning because you were playing MCP? Yeah. Okay. We made an active decision to only play Corset for the least first two or three games. I think that was a good idea. A lot of listeners have reached out in the Patreon Discord and things like that and asked which way to go with the first 10 games or so. Because as you mentioned, Amon, at the top of this episode, I think a lot of people playing this might be their first, second, or only third miniatures game, right? This might be a pretty new foray for them, and they're looking where to go. And my initial thought is try to find a friend that favors a side, light side or dark side, and just slam games with them with that core set, right? So if you're the light side player, which was my situation, and my friend being the dark side, we just were like, you know what we're going to do these first two or three games? We're just going to play full games of core set, learn what AMG wants to tell us through this core box, right? And then we'll start adding in Dooku, Obi-Wan, Padawan, Ahsoka, Django. Add to taste, right? But keep that core set shell as your basis. That's what I'm telling people I think they should do at home is just Play Corset bad guys for a while and then swap out a secondary for Django. Something as simple as that. Because there are so many synergistic triggers, things to do. It's really hard to remember everything, right? So we framed our day through that lens and we started with Corset only. Playing light side, it's like in the way I play games, Bo-Katan was just insane for me. Let's just say that in all the games because a lot of what I was doing was just aggressively early spending my force to do a bunch of jumps, extra moves, just win struggle one every time and make the game go to struggle two and get a reaction to my opponent. Another thing I did too, a lot of mon was sometimes I would kind of do the web warriors play style where it's like from MCP, I would see where the bulk of my opponent's models were and I would just rotate, right? I'm fine with a clone being on one of my back points, scoring it. He's facing down Kalani and two B1 squads, right? Like, I'm winning on that side, even if that guy is removed, which he probably will be at some point. Like, he's a five of first guy. He scored me one point. And Kalani's over there with a bunch of droids, and it's stacking up over time. I think something came up in our games a lot was my opponent did really well with Asajj, and Asajj was just always doing everything she wanted to do on attack and defense and her defense is also insane because she has that aggressive defense and then force pushing a ton so playing around Asajj was the biggest thing in our games and then i used anakin as a scalpel to just score points aggressively while my team played safe and it's weird i'm on like i played ahsoka two or three times this weekend primary ahsoka and it's just nature of how our games went and things like that but she didn't do much of anything in our in my games. She basically just used force speed to get places and score. I win two struggles. Okay, she didn't get to do anything cool, but she moved around. I don't think that's normal for Ahsoka, but it, that's just how our games turned out. It was more like our other primaries were doing more things on other sides of the board. So that's my first game as when. It was just like Anakin doing his momentum thing and my team being fairly safe. And I will say... Something came up with me and my friend a lot that we just kept discussing. We were just like, Bo-Katan giving her Mando's Steadfast is just incredible. Steadfast is just incredible. Steadfast and in protection both are just, they just win you games. 
we even talked about a couple games I won struggle two or run struggle one and then we I won struggle two because of steadfast. Oh, you can't push me off? That's it. So that ability really stuck out to me on top of what you were talking about, where Bokatan just sometimes just wins melee all the time. Like against lower priority models and sometimes higher priority models. Yeah, the Mandalorian bubble is great. And <laughs> definitely protection and steadfast on the active objectives is amazing. That's really what helped me win in the games against Greg. Okay. Was some people want to be safe with their force. But for me, I was like, jetpack, jetpack. That's what I was into. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's what it sounded like you were doing. And it's really helpful because, and we'll get to my clone games in a minute, but I'll spend a lot of force there too. Oh yeah. A lot. But having four jetpacks on your team in terms of characters is fantastic. And Dooku is such a heavy hitter. I never went into Makashi. I stayed in force mastery and just pummeling people with the force lightning and whatever. And. I ended up building my Dooku with the Force Lightning. I think everyone convinced me. We did it. We did it, friends. Ah, oh, very good. Yeah, I think Steadfast is going to be one of those abilities that we just see come up time and time again, right, on this show and, in fact, in competitive events, right, because it can just win you the game, right? Like, it just can because shoves are so impactful, right? I don't know. I think bo did a lot of work for me. But, yeah, like you said, I'm on. I think something I learned this weekend and something I'll – Try to impart on listeners. The jetpack's amazing. The ceiling of the jetpack, I've been going to the level three. That's amazing. Really, at the end of the day, you're paying a force to move again a shorter distance, right? Which can just also just win you the game. And that's actually the biggest power of it is, yeah, the elevation thing is insane. That's like the, that's like the high spike of it. But really, the spike of it is just with these mandos and, of course, these clones, which we'll get to shortly with their little scoot. They get to move more than you thought, right? And that can just win you the game and score you objectives. Yeah, defensive maneuver by the clones is super powerful. It's amazing, right? Especially struggle one. Yeah, you just get a free dash and then they get hunkers, which is super important because they made the cover change to where hunker works. Let's talk about that. We haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, let's talk about that right now. So on a stream leading up to the release weekend, AMG had created this really cool board that was actually very multi-layered in terms of the verticality yeah and i really like how there was a lot of negative space in the middle so people get shoved etc but getting to the main point here the way that cover works now is that you only benefit from cover if you have a hunker token and that is huge because all the demo games and the games i had grinded out whether online or in person were with the old cover rules so getting used to that was very interesting a from a visual perspective it stopped making sense a little bit because I was like, but he's behind cover. Yeah. So that was a little, it took a second to just wrap my head around that. But after I just said, whatever, hunker token cover, otherwise nothing. Yep. It made me respect the clones even more and give more credence to what Greg was saying in that I think the clone synergy is actually very strong now because at one point I was like, hey, how many defense dice does Anakin get? And Greg was like seven. And I was like, what about the 501st? He's like, right now they're at eight. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll attack Anakin. Yeah. Wild. So Jesse, what are your thoughts on that overall change? And how did that impact your games over the weekend? It's a pretty bold change opening weekend, right? And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like you've actually got to take the bunker action, but it does break our war gamer brains, right? 
in a lot of ways where we've just understood a certain distance of terrain and line sites passing through that. I'm going to cover, right? But now I think it also adds greater impact to taking hunker because you do keep your hunkers, right? If you get moved around and stuff, you keep it till a certain point. But I think it made Obi-Wan more interesting, his ability, right? Because his is just making your hunker better and hunker being buffed and nerfed at the same time where it's like you got a hunker to get cover, but cover doesn't exist anymore without hunker. It was interesting. And I I do think it's going to make the game go faster, which is good overall, because you can't just be like, all right, I move a model to a point behind the barricade. They're scoring the point. They got cover now. Like they'll be easier to remove, but I still don't know how it's going to play out in the long run, but I do think it's probably at the moment just better for the game and actually encourages people to hunker. And it feels better too when you do the game a lot and you realize can't double move and there's a lot of turns of the game especially around turn one turn two where you're just like i move and what can't shoot anybody can't focus and shoot anybody because they were taking a move action so i'm already bankrupt there and you're just like oh i hunker and it feels good yeah especially early rounds right where it's you get that extra inch of movement by hunkering what i ended up doing is on that stream i asked so cover was changed pagani responds saying to benefit from cover from terrain, you must also have a hunker token. And then I asked, what was the insight behind the change at Pagani? And he goes, this allows more intuitive application for cover by showing the character is actively trying to utilize it rather than it being a passive thing. It should help with the idea of having cover while out in the open on things like gantries or buildings by giving players a way to visualize it as a character dodging, hitting the deck, etc. Once reading that, it made a little bit more sense. I understand that they're hunkering. Yeah, they're not just like standing in the middle of the gantry in the middle of the map. I find that very interesting. I think it's just good for the game overall, especially because it's numerous reasons. But I think just less defense dice overall will come from this. They just will. because You actually have to take actions to get the cover. Now, I'm on with the cover, though. Now, actually, when I have a hunker, tell me the amount of defense dice I'm going to get if I'm behind cover with a hunker. And for the listeners, you get one for every hunker token you have, and then you get one for cover. It's very simple, but it just has to be stated because I think people are now are thinking like, it's just like a question mark people have, you know what I mean? Of like, do I get one from the cover now? Do I not get one? Do I need to be in cover to hunker? You can still hunker, not in cover, right? And so like, you've got to think about through that lens as well. Exactly. I think it makes a lot of sense mechanically because now there's a token that denotes cover yeah it's just cleaner they also changed dooku's reroll day one as well so they didn't really change it so much effectively they changed the wording yep so that it made sense in terms of timing so now it's instead of when he's targeted it's the dice roll step yeah effectively yeah he gets a little bit more information which is good for him effectively through the hunker change and through the dooku reroll change in a way i'm on Dooku and Obi-Wan were both slightly buffed day one. The hunker stuff with Obi-Wan is ridiculous. And let's get right into that because we're still on Saturday before we get to your Sunday. The remainder of the day, three games, I played Obi-Wan. Love the character. I also wanted to see what a pure Republic list looked like. So it sounded like your opponent was running this list, Amon, but I made a change immediately, actually, that I think... Whether or not it's better or worse, I enjoyed it more. 
and it was it's all that matters changing Rex into Padawan Ahsoka. So now I have Anakin, Padawan Ahsoka, and Five First. The theme is just right, and then I have Obi Wan, Cody, and two hundred twelve, and that's my full group. Thematically, you dropped Rex. I know, but thematically, it's incredible, right? You've got like Anakin with Snips. You've got like young Ahsoka, and you've got Obi Wan too, and Obi Wan's hunker innate identity right actually does help out padawan ahsoka a lot is my experience and we'll get to that but the fun part of this list amon is that i can pretty much just win the struggle one list every time really all the clones have defensive maneuver so the 212th and the five first right you pay a force you dash you gain a hunker hunker is amazing right but at the bottom line, at the end of the day, you're paying a force to move an additional time with the clones when the game limits you, right? So round one, you can frequently, if you pull Obi-Wan or Anakin, you reserve them, ideally, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to draw Ahsoka or clones. You draw Ahsoka, she gets Raysia, which is incredible. Raysia is just absurd, right? It's at the start of Ahsoka's activation, an allied Republic character or force user gets to advance their movement, right? immediately move Obi-Wan or Anakin for free right before they even gone. And then she can, if you want to, she can move double jump to any objective pretty much that's active, right? Round one. Cause she's got the double jump just like Asajj does. That's right. That's a lot of force, but you can do that with her early squirrely. But probably if you draw her turn one, you just don't do that. Cause you're not going to score, but you're going to trigger that ratio and then you're set for your clones. But then the clones, they move and then they defensive maneuver. And they just score. So between Ahsoka and between the clones, you're just getting wherever you want on the map and probably just scoring struggle one very quickly. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan and Anakin have already been moved up the board a little bit from Ahsoka. And then you can use the Shatterpoint card in conjunction with their cards to move them more, right? And just basically dig in and win struggle one. So that's basically the juxtaposition. Like, that's basically the list. And what's interesting about this list I'm on too is I actually Shatterpoint a lot with Ahsoka to trigger the ratio a couple times, right? She's also really fast and Padawan Ahsoka, I hinted at why I loved her so much. She hits really hard, but more importantly, she just has a push. She has a shove on her first step on the track. So frequently with her, you can like move, jump, attack someone, push them off, score it, when, to get a big point screen, swing or something. So she can reposition aggressively all over the map, like a corset Black Widow and MCP, and do cool stuff. And what's the problem is, is your opponent wants to remove her because if they don't remove her, you're just getting all these free movements for Anakin and Obi-Wan or just another Republic person. Like you can pivot to it. So it's the list I fell in love with at the weekend because it is the clone synergy that you're talking about, which is very strong. But you got three Jedi. I like it, honestly. I like it a lot. And it helps you prepare for Luminara Barris coming up too, because now you can better manage their force abilities because they're more force intensive as Jedi are. So that's exciting too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said, Amon, on this very show slash off mic too, just like how powerful Alracia is. It's just insane, right? It's every time Ahsoka goes globally, somewhere on the map, it's global. One of your allies is being moved for free, right? It's a weird sleeper power, is that, on top of her having the double jump. Also, she gets some free attacks if you set some stuff up right. But pair that with the concepts you introduced earlier, 
which we can dig into a little bit more now because you experienced a lot this weekend and I experienced it too, is this sort of like clones having hunker, clones always getting to short move with the defensive maneuver, like to dash with the defensive maneuver, and then stuff like the coordinated fire. There's just a lot of triggers. Yeah. You have to keep up with it's incredible. When it's like they also get like stuff like steadfast when they have hunkers and stuff and 212th and they crumble in melee, but from a distance, they are just shredding you. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And we'll talk about this more in our OB1 episode, but the 212th are more of a aggro yep. support unit. Yep. Granted, they can get hunker and they can be quite defensive, but I do like how when you take both clone units, one gives you strain, one gives you pin, and it's disgusting. And they also have strain and pinned on their trees. So depending on who's going at what times on top of the coordinated fires, you can like trigger stuff. As Amon said, later in the game, you can start stacking conditions and, oh, I'm not actually stacking. It's just an auto damage, right? Yeah. And speaking of strain, one more errata that they made to the rulebook itself was just clarifying what strain does. So essentially, they just expanded upon every instance in which strain would trigger. So they literally put climb, dash, jump when they make an action, when they make an attack, or they use an active ability or a reactive ability. After the effect is resolved, they take three damage. Now, obviously, if you recover, you wouldn't take the strain damage, right? So I do like how they're being more comprehensive. And I really got to hand it off to AMG. Day one errata and update to the core rules is ballsy. Yeah. But it speaks to me of two things. Number one, they're listening to the community. I'm assuming all these clarifications and the FAQ even came from the rules forum. Number two, they care. And they care a lot because not only did they do a day one update, which is incredible to think about, very gutsy as well, but they also dropped the premier rules, which is the competitive play document for the game. And dude, I was psyched when I read it. That is my jam. Same. So let's give the listeners a quick summary of that, Amon, before we move on with our last bit of our games. The TLDR of this is we actually have a starting competitive format. We do. It took MCP, what, three years to get Challenger events? And day one, Shatterpoint, we get the premier showdown event packet. So the biggest thing that you have to think about when looking at this, so going to a tournament, it talks about sportsmanship, margin of error, missed opportunities everything you need to have, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But the meat and potatoes of this is the fact that there is a pseudo MCP style selection event that occurs now. So during a premier showdown event, players do not submit a single strike team as normal. Instead, players submit a list of four separate squads and one mission set that they will use to build their strike team at the start of each game. So, to make it super easy, if you just have the core box, you have four teams, you show up to a tournament, Jesse walks up to the tournament, we play each other, hopefully later in the event. Hopefully. And he also has, let's say, the core box strike teams. Jesse's going to look at my stuff, I'm going to look at his stuff, I'm going to look at his mission pack, you're going to look at my mission set, and then we're going to secretly pick two squads. Very cool. And then we both reveal, similarly to MCP, and then we figure out if we did the right mind games, turn zero stuff, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. 
However, Jesse, you cannot escape your destiny. That's right. And what this means is during a premiere showdown event, you can't just bring all four of your squads and only just plan to play two of them. Players must choose each of their squads to be included in their strike team during at least one round or game of the event, which I love. Yeah. So that means if I haven't played strike team four over two rounds, I have to play strike team four like in round three. Yeah. Three. I just have to play. So if I let's say I have Dooku, I haven't played him all day, right? I'm two games in. The Dooku squad's there. Got to come out the last game. Yeah, for real. Obviously, it's hard to do, guess all that, especially at larger events, but I'm already seeing people with ranked games on Longshanks, so I assume they're in ranked leagues, Okay. and if Longshanks, like MCP, is the main tournament organizing software that we're going to use, then you could just log into your tournament app, and as long as people are updating their information correctly, you could see that information. And to be fair, it is open information. And I guess you could point blank ask your opponent, like, which one of these squads have you not played yet? You could. Yeah. But I like the idea of the mystery and the mind games and the guessing. Like, Jesse knows I love the Dooku box, right? So maybe he might tailor to beat the Dooku box. And then I could maybe anticipate that and counter his counter. Like, those are the things of that I enjoy in MCP, but also gaming in general. It's exciting. So exciting. Wow. Okay, good stuff. Mon, you had some questions about Obi-Wan, and I'm sure you're going to have some of these come of your games too at the end of the weekend. But I found out with Obi-Wan, and we're going to cover this more in our episode coming up, his Sorosu form is so interesting. It's so low dice, right? Unless he low theirs. It's five on melee, which is like the lowest of any primary. But its effects are so powerful. Like he could do something like four recovers, right? On one path of that. That's only three spots down the tree. So it's like they're like building it in. But I love that it's like his Ataru is a little bit more consistent because it's got pushes. It's got a little bit, it's got some damage. But the Sorosu can like really just go weird directions. And it's got less dice. So you've got to do his hello there, buff up his next attack, and then do Sorosu. But it's like I was having trouble with that on the weekend of knowing when to, which form to be in. And also the Sorosu being less. Like it has more crits, but it has less control. Also very interesting. You get to the point where it's doesn't matter how many successes I have. I only have four paths I can take. And that's why I believe that he has limited dice to begin with. But then if you hello there into it, then you're most likely going to hit the three or four. But Greg used this to great effect over our games in which he fully healed Obi-Wan. For me, I really enjoyed Ataru and that's a lot of fun when you hello there because you throw 10 dice and you don't even have 10 dice in the core box. I know, right? It was insane. And it makes the Ataru very consistent because Ataru does have six spots to go if you go a certain way or five yep. if you go the lower it, path. And it's just a very weird shape. So I was using Ataru to try to go to like Shove City. That's where I was trying to go. Shove City is great. Anakin has this great damage tree where he can just shove you like three times. That was funny too, because I was literally next to him. And then next thing I'm like halfway back (laughs) on my side of the board. Yeah, very cool. Also, another thing I noticed with all the primaries I played on the weekend, like the free ability thing. We talked about Sonasaja's tree, right? To get a free force push. In my experience, it seemed less common on the primary light side of the force. 
What's more common specifically getting to the active ability or getting the free active ability? Just the free active abilities were less common in the characters I played this weekend on the trees in general and also getting to them. So Cody has one right on his concentrated firepower. Yep. I think he's the only one who has one on the lights. Yeah. So it's just weird. It's so cool to me that like I, we experienced a lot of like lows and highs in our games this weekend where it's like my opponent was getting frustrated because I was shoving so much with Anakin and Obi-Wan in particular. But then he was getting his Asajj trigger of the free ability like every time. And it was like, but he also was getting more damage through. And I think there was like some design elements with the core box I'm on where it's, it just seemed like the way AMG wants us to play the game right now is the light side's a little bit more about control and healing and the dark side's a little bit more about damage. And I could be wrong on that because obviously Dooku throws a wrench in that whole thing, but the core set in particular really felt like that in a lot of ways. It just feels like the light side has a little bit more healing overall. And the dark side has a little bit more damage. And I think that makes sense thematically. And also the Jedi too, right? Like we're probably going to see more healing over time just because it's the way they fight, right? There's a lot of recover type stuff anyways, but I don't know. Like, like you said, Obi-Wan healing four, right? Is nuts. Yeah. It's an interesting assessment. And I wonder if it's not necessarily a light side versus dark side, but just specifically those characters. Yeah, for sure. It's just as the game is at the moment, which just leans those colors, light and dark, right? It could change quickly, right? Who knows what like Palpatine has, right? Or some of the bounty hunters in the future, which are neither light nor dark. Exactly. And to be fair, I do think the healing agenda is a little pushed on the light side, especially because Luminara's card was previewed by AMG. Yeah, and she's a full-on priest. Yeah, what I really have enjoyed about all the Jedi we've seen in this game is we have super aggressive Jedi, healing Jedi, tanky Jedi, augmentation Jedi, supporting secondary Jedi. Like, it's cool. They did a good job. They did well, yeah. Basically, in my Republic games, I just dug in, hunkered up, went to shove city and then tried to sustain through recovering and things like that through all my opponents, fire damage control. And I will say Asajj using something like force push and Obi-Wan it's debilitating. Someone like Obi-Wan, like he wants to be dug in. He wants to be in the fight. He wants to be tanking that main point. And when he's not, he doesn't feel very impactful. I agree. You can definitely zone out characters and punish them. And I do like that because you really have to think about it. I can spam you with conditions, but how many actions is that going to take? How many activations will it take? Is it better spent doing something else? And there were many situations where I was like, I could shoot you, but I'd rather just advance and hunker. It's strong. That's a strong choice, right? <laughs> Play style. There was times I was like kicking myself where I didn't advance and hunker, like advanced and moved. And then I was like, oh, wait. The clones, you know, brothers in arms, while this unit has one or more hunker characters, the unit has steadfast. I'm like, that just straight up is better in the situation. Like where it's, I moved to a point with the clones and I, sh I shot at like the Magna guards, right? And it's like, no, I should have just like hungered and got that steadfast online. The final bit of my games towards the day, my opponent brought up the Magna guards and they did a lot of work, a lot of free moves. They take you to shove city for sure. And oh yeah. They are a threat. They are a ton of health. They just they can just win points and control you out. So that was my final assessment of the day was like the Magna Guards alone made us go to struggle three for the last game of the day, which was very fun. The last game of the day went to struggle three. 
and we played a super fun match of Obi-Wan and Anakin and Snips versus Dooku, Asajj, and their respective droids, right? And it was a knockdown, beatdown, dragout fight, and it was a blast. Oman, what did your Sunday look like before you close out the weekend? Because you said you got a couple more games in on Sunday and some things you learned from there. Yeah, played two more games on Sunday. And what did I learn? I guess I reconfirmed a lot of suspicions. I love pinned. I love strained. I didn't see as much disarm, but going to the lessons, reconfirmed force pushes. Amazing. Asajj. Asajj, yes. And another thing that I learned is that having seven force versus six force is huge. Let's talk about that because I agree. Yeah, it's the difference between one extra move. At the end of the day, these defensive maneuvers, these jetpacks on their worst day are just a move. Turns out they're also like things like ignore elevation or gain a hunker, but you're willing to pay force for that all the time. Yeah, it's very worth it. Obviously, you have the synergies with Anakin that make it worth it with Rex or Cody in the 501st. With Dooku, it's just the Magna Guards are great. Like they could be four points and they could do the same thing and I would be happy. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrifying they're three, honestly. Yeah. And then Django and Dooku have this great economy set up where Dooku likes to spend. So does Django, but then Django can help refresh. Pretty chill. That's good. The refreshing is nuts. Yeah. And then the last lesson that I think is worth discussing is a general lesson, but it's use your force. I had two games where I reshuffled and reset my force with having force unspent. It's like you're trying to wait for this opportune moment that may or may not come. Just use it. So I think a general strategy I'm going to have moving forward is I'm just going to jetpack everyone who can jetpack, get to where I need to go. Obviously, within reason, you don't want to just get out in the open so the entire enemy team could just advance and shoot you. And yeah, I love force jump jetpack. It's so nice. Yeah, there's actually a turn one of the later games of the weekend where I actually had spent too much force, but it also ended up winning me the game because it got me such of a big VP lead that it was kind of like the rest of that struggle just played out where it's I'm like, as long as I play safe, I can just keep that like slight lead and the VP knows keep bumping me closer and closer. And what I did, Mom, was it was a wounded, a one wound, Padawan Ahsoka, snips, and she double jumped which is very pricey on her back. It's four, right? But between a move and a double jump and like the big Sith temple being in the middle of the board, kind of, she just completely repositioned from a side to another side of the map to the priority objective, which scored more, right? And I already had clones dug in on the non-priority objectives. And it was just a big point swing. I was four star of the rest of that round, which really hurt, but I got a, aggressive point swing and then when my force came back it was like okay let's just close this out so you've got interesting questions where it's that might have been too much force i spent but it was better spending too much than too little because i will say game one there was a couple times where i had a force or two left when i shuffled because i was waiting for that ahsoka counter strike i was waiting for that ahsoka cut the damage in half and just never came because like i said my primary ahsoka was pretty much an objective runner in these games and I should have spent it on more jetpacks because movement is king in this game. And sometimes you just got to double jump Padawan Ahsoka and move her and just score the priority objective. And that's one more thing we didn't talk about, Amon, was those priority objectives on <laughs> struggle two and three are insane. 
the tension they create in the game are crazy. Yes. The tension they do create in the game is wild. You can get back in the game with those. You can get back into the game with those. And the fact that every single symbol has an equal chance of being rolled because it's 2-2-2 two, two, two on the defense dice, right? So it's truly random. Yep. What we did also is we decided to play, because we were running out of time and the store was closing. They close early on Sundays. And so during the final 30 minutes of the round, which is what the packet says, but for us, we just did it with the last 10 minutes left, is at the start of each end of turn sequence, the active player just gains a momentum token. So we were just like throwing momentum back and forth while we're like, I hope it's not this. I hope it's not that. And it was a lot of fun. And it, I really enjoyed the stress because it was like fast decision making. And I pride myself on being able to make decisions very quickly that happen to be the decently right ones. Obviously with perfect information or a perfect amount of time, you can come to that conclusion. But I was able to just say, I'm going to do this. Boom. It just felt like we were playing with a chess clock with like less than a minute left. It was great. And that's part of the premier rules, right? Yeah, the mission critical stuff. Yeah, it's so good. So that really just amps it up if you're not finishing, basically. Exactly. It's You're going to finish your game somehow, some way. It's going to happen. That's awesome. That's just awesome. Which honestly leads me into some of the stuff we talked about, I believe, on our last episode, which was playing with that momentum. Yep. Especially if mission critical is something that your playgroup decides to adopt then you can set yourself up to where you may not necessarily have the points throughout the majority of the struggle. There was a point where Greg had eight open spots, just the momentum he started with, and all I had to do was get to four to win. Right, yeah. So he kept having the lead, and it kept ending in his zones. I just kept getting more. That same thing happened to me, but the inverse. I was ahead of my opponent. I was always scoring, and his momentum bar was just filling way up. And he's like... I just got to get like one from that zero and I just went. Did he? He did not. I was like, I have to do something to stop this. So for me, it helped me win my game. That's nuts. All I needed was like a series of events to occur in a sequence and they did. Putting that final bit of damage on an enemy and getting the momentum token too, right? Like I think it actually, it's sneaky how you're scoring with that, right? You're not thinking about it as much. You're thinking of the point tracker, but you are scoring with that. With Anakin, it's a two point swing with the droids in particular they roll a lot of dice from range and sometimes they're just fine okay you're ahead on points but i'm just shooting at you over and over again and i'm just getting momentum tokens i'll catch up it's a dark side thing at least in the corset lens that came up in our games a lot where it was like i was scoring more points than him in our games but he was scoring more momentum i dig yeah, it that's really cool so at the end of the weekend i'm on between the you and i both we almost got 10 games which is notable because you and i are serious like focused players they're gonna play a game out fully we're not gonna be like oh let's just like scrap this one we're playing full games and we got a long way to go but i'm really excited and i feel like that's a great starting point of learning what can happen in the game and on top of that you and i are playing fantastic like competitive opponents that love the game as well so like we also got like a crash course and what the game can look like back and forth and you mentioned the momentum and the vp moving around but I guess the last part we didn't talk about is just how amazing Shatterpoint is with that feeling of tension, with the momentum, and with this tug of war of the BP track, which is unlike anything I've ever seen in a minis game. Dude, I loved it. I enjoyed every moment of it. And I'm actually in a Underworlds online league right now. And I just told the TLs, like, hey, I'm dropping. Wild. Yeah. It's just 
Shatterpoint is occupying a space in my brain that I haven't had stimulated like this in a while. I think since MCP first came out and I'm just really falling in love with the process. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you and I have done a lot of prep to get here, which has been really helpful, but it's also a lot of theory crafting and a lot of like behind the scenes, like work on the game and all this stuff. But it's like physically getting the models to the table is another, it's like another game entirely. Like actually having stuff on the table, playing with it. And I will say I'm very inspired to get clones and Mandos in particular painted sooner than later because the Sea of Grey is very tough with all the Mandos and clones in particular because they do look similar. I'm talking 212th and 501st looking similar. And then, of course, all the Mandalorians just looking very similar. The female support Mandalorian, you could mistake her for Bo-Katan sometimes. And I, in fact, did. And that's why I get mine painted up as Costa Reeves as quick as possible. It is true. And that is why I have decided to paint my Mandalorians all different. There it is. Same. You just have to do it and make Gar and Bo really shine in the respective groups. Yeah. So it is what it is. Not a lot of Gar talk today, Amon. We need to talk about him more in the future. Yeah. To be honest, I never played with Gar or against Gar over the weekend. I didn't play with Maul or against Maul over the weekend. And I know it's ironic given the fact that I rep Darth Maul on this podcast. He's the reason he's on the podcast art. If you look at Discord, my profile picture is a gif of Maul looking up when he first sees Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in Naboo. So I'm really mixed feelings here. You're letting the brand down, Amon. That's what you're saying. I may be letting the brand down, but am I creating great content? You got to give me some slack. But also, I'm going to throw at you what you threw at me earlier. Get those Longshanks badges, man. Can you be the number one Darth Maul and I can be the number one Obi-Wan, at least for a time? That'd be nice. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm going to go look at the Longshanks right now. I would enjoy getting either one. It's just different than MCP, right? The affiliations, like it's the individual name characters. It's different ballpark. I think it's fascinating because the only person in the Shatterpoint rankings who has a above a 100 is a 103 and their overall score is two and four. Oh, wow. So you and I need to be on here, is what you're saying. We need to start playing some games. We need to start running local tournaments, play some online events. The irony is if you look at the stats at the moment, which is very limited, out of the eight primaries that are out in the game, including Luminar and Grievous, so eight primaries all the way to beginning of July, excluding Vader, secondary Obi-Wan and Inquisitors, Obi-Wan and Maul are sitting at fifth and sixth on win rate out of the eight. It's not too good for them. Oh, are you looking at... I'm looking at primary unit rankings win rate. Obi-Wan and Maul are both below 50%. Yeah, I was a... This very well could be a MCP Longshanks thing where the Cabal and Avengers stats are very incongruent because everybody's playing them. Not just the competitive players, not just the casual players, everybody. So the stats are all over the place for Maul and Obi-Wan potentially. But I don't know. We'll see. We should probably run a league. Yeah. This is why we have the Discord. Let's start it up. Yeah, looking at the win rates right now, Grievous is... He's number one, but he's only played four games. So really, it's Dooku's who's number one, which makes perfect sense. We've said on this show, we think Dooku might be the strongest piece right now. We'll see. Asajj is third. Dooku Asajj, man. What do you know? I dig it, honestly. I like it. I think it. it's strong. I think it's fun. I think it's thematic. Give it a shot. But 
Luminar is only five games in, so it's like Grievous Luminar. Let's let them get some more games and catch up to everybody else. But uh, yeah, I'm very curious on what what happens with the Longshanks. Me too. I wonder if a lot of these lower than 50% win rates is just because people are just trying stuff and playing it and having fun. Yeah, it's got to be, right? Yeah, it seems like Anakin is the only one at a straight 50. I guess everybody loves Sky Guy. 100%. We all love him. So interesting. Very interesting. Come on, if these stats had secondaries, I think Bo might be at the top. If I was a betting man. That's true. I'm looking at Dooku's win rate right now, and he has a below than half win rate only against two characters, which is Ahsoka and Asajj. Interesting. Yeah. He hates force push. I'll tell you that. He is not fast. No. He's an old yeah, man. He's an old man. Doesn't even have jump. Yeah. Maybe Asajj is the move. She's just the all-arounder of the course set. It's just a power piece, so it is what it is. But it's super exciting to see this, and maybe we'll cover it more in future episodes. But yeah, a fun way to finish our weekend is like, talked about our games. We did some assembling, like you mentioned, Mom, at the end of the week and the beginning of the weekend. And uh, look at some of these uh, Shatterpoint Longshank stats. Ahsoka being number eight is just wild to me. I don't know. We'll see. Well, let's just wait. We're definitely going to wait, get more games in, and uh, get these stats up, right? 100%. If you're playing at a local event for a Shatterpoint, absolutely ask your TO to use Longshanks and let's get this going. Let's build some information for this community and get this wonderful community going online on the competitive side of things. 100%. Get out there, fight, battle, use the force, and remember, there is no try. Well, closing out our show real quickly, Amon, where can everyone find us and support us? Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hello there cast. Becoming a patron, you get instant access to the Discord. And depending on what tier you're at, you get our bonus podcast feed and a lot of one-on-one correspondence and extra stuff like hearing your name read if you are a producer. Of course, you can find us on several places online, everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at hello there cast. You can always email us at hello there cast at gmail.com. Leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. You guys have been showing up in force on Spotify and Apple Podcasts in particular. It means a lot to us. You guys have just been leaving five star reviews and written reviews, which is even better than just a five star review. So if you can't support the show monetarily, if you can leave a five star review on your podcast platform of choice, that would really help us out. For sure. And also a quick shout out to Lofiel for our podcast music, Bangers. That doesn't get you excited to claim the number one Kenobi and Mall spot. I don't know what it does. At last. <laughs> At last. If we accomplish that, I'm going to send you that meme every day. I'm all about it. I accept it and I appreciate it. Of course, you can find Amon and I several places online. You can find me, Jesse, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord all at the same place at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Marvel Crisis Protocol show about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe, Fury's Finest. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. Essentially, I'm pretty much the only Amon in the hobby, so A-M-A-N. You'll find me on Discord, Twitter, Facebook, etc., And I also am the primary host on Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that talks about 
competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. Perfect. We hope you guys have enjoyed our first episode, like post-launch weekend. We're going to have more discussions like this going forward in the future. So if you like this, let us know. It's a little more free form, a lot more like seeing where the conversation takes us because we didn't know what each other experienced. We are going to do tournament report episodes in the future, which will be something similar to a format like this, but deeper dives into our personal games and our strategies. But yeah, man, another episode in the bag. That's right. Another episode in the bag. Again, our call to action is play games. Because as Captain Rex once said in my book, experience outranks everything. Absolutely. Perfect advice, Captain Rex. Until next time, may the force be with you. Thank <laughs> you.